Hello and welcome to today's VJ Himong podcast. We are a global open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest research updates in hematological oncology. In today's podcast, chaired by Irene Gabriel of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, Massachusetts, leading experts Roger Tiedemann of Princess Margaret Cancer Center in Toronto, Ontario, Yael Cohen of Tel Aviv Saraski Medical Center in Tel Aviv, Israel, and Eileen Boyle of NYU Langan in New York City, give their answers to the question, how can we understand myeloma at the single cell level? Good morning, good afternoon, everyone. We are here live in Myeloma 2022 for the first time seeing people in person discussing amazing data on multiple myeloma. And I'm joined here today by an amazing panel to talk mainly about single cell sequencing and how can we understand drug resistance, response to therapy, mechanisms in general of both the immune and cancer cells, and how can we understand it at a deeper level by the single cell level. So maybe everyone can introduce themselves and then we can start the discussion. Roger. Well, I'm Roger Tiedemann from the uh, Princess Margaret Cancer Center. I'm Eileen Boyle from NYU Langone in New York. Yeah. Yeah, Al Cohen from the Tel Aviv Medical Center in Israel. Perfect. So again, an amazing time today, and we're back in person, which is wonderful. Roger, do you want to tell us more about your 1Q data, fascinating data? I think we were all impressed to see that at a much deeper level, at the single cell level. Thank you. Well, we. Um, studied the role of gain of chromosome 1Q, which is one of the most common copy number aberrations in human cancer, and in multiple myeloma was the most common adverse prognostic marker. Um, it's difficult to study the effects of gain of chromosome 1Q on gene expression and cellular programs using whole tumors, because you end up having to compare different tumors with different genetic backgrounds. So we studied this by single cell RNA sequencing. We looked at the effects of gain of chromosome 1Q in single cells. And uh, to cut a long story short, we basically demonstrated that gain of chromosome 1Q is causing upregulation of oxidative phosphorylation in myeloma cells and downregulating their energy stress or suppressing, alleviating their energy stress. And it's also suppressing um, type 1 interferon responses and inflammation and tumor immunity. And so uh, there's dual benefits from gain of chromosome 1Q in myeloma, um, a metabolic. Uh, effect that improves the efficiency of the cells and uh, alleviates energy stress and an ability to escape from the immune system. And I think uh, these two facets um, have a significant impact on tumor fitness and on patient survival. Do you see special therapy as we go into precision medicine and understanding how to personalize therapy for individual patients? Do you see a 1Q therapy coming along with these data that you're presenting? I think there's really important uh, ramifications from this discovery. I think uh, you know, targeting oxidative phosphorylation in high-risk myelomas is going to be useful, uh, particularly in 1Q myeloma, but I can tell you it's also present in some of the other high-risk myelomas increased oxidative phosphorylation. And I think uh, the understanding that the gain of 1Q helps the tumor cells escape the immune system is gonna have uh, an impact on how we apply immunotherapy to myeloma patients in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Eileen, amazing data again coming into, I think both of you, the studies of pre-post therapy, how can we understand basically selection, drug resistance, mechanisms of interaction as we go on with therapy? Do you mind if you tell us about your data? So I think it is important to look at the interaction um, between the microenvironment and the tumour and um, the effect within the context of one single therapy. And in our work we were able to 
do just that in the context of DARA KRD treated patients, uh, look at both the tumour characteristics with whole genome sequencing and uh, the microenvironment using both at the RNA level and protein level, and able to um, understand the interaction between the tumour cells and the microenvironment. And we were able for the first time to show that early on before treatment, we were able to see markers that would indicate a high risk microenvironment where patients are not likely to respond to, the, to, to therapy um, and, um, and also more favourable microenvironments where patients will do well and achieve sustained MRD negativity. And I think that's exciting to start looking at that picture of both tumor and immune cells in response to therapy and predicting who will do well and who will not. Where do you see that moving in the future? It's hard to bring single cell for every clinical trial. Mm -hmm. We're all going to be uh, you know, <laughs> uh, unable to do that, and, and we cannot even bring it to the clinics. How do you see that moving forward? So um, one of the things we are trying to do currently is translate these findings into more clinically applicable methods using, using things such as um, flow cytometry, for instance, and designing specific risk panels that will indicate um, would be an additional criteria um, to uh, use this information and prognostic information for patients. That's wonderful. So going to more drug resistance and more understanding of how to treat patients in a selective way. Yael, do you mind if you tell us about your study? Sure, so when we were looking at the very tough populations, those who are primary refractory and they fail on the induction um, regimen, and we were using single cell analysis to try and, uh, and understand uh, what is the signature uh, that uh, really drives this, uh, this resistance. So we, we compare them to newly diagnosed myeloma patients. And in fact, we were able to come up with a, with a signature of, of resistance and to explore the pathways that were, uh, that were uh, affected. And we found uh, various uh, uh, pathways and, and genes that were up and down regulated, some who were uh, described also uh, previously by others and some were, were novel uh, to do with uh, protosome machinery, to do with uh, protein folding, uh, uh, mitochondrial respiration and uh, ER stress and uh, uh, then we were able to actually uh, uh, validate this, uh, this signature also on, on the COMPASS data set to, to show that it's really uh, providing a prognostic uh, uh, information beyond uh, that that was uh, previously known. And, uh, we were able to uh, find uh, um, some uh, potential new targets and we experimented with them in the lab and the uh, initial uh, uh, results show that indeed uh, uh, this might in some way reverse uh, uh, resistance uh, um, to carfilzomib. Um, so, so those are the key, the key findings. Also, uh, I think the longitudinal data that we had was able to look at clonal dynamics and actually we can see uh, when patients are developing a, a progression under treatment uh, stress, we can see how their, their clones uh, are, are sometimes uh, shifting, a new clone takes dominance and to see which are the pathways that are involved in this, in this new clone. So, so this could uh, hopefully in the future uh, help us uh, maybe personalize the treatment with having this deeper understanding of uh, what stands behind the resistance. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder, was this specific to carfilzomib or do you think all proteasome inhibitors would have this drug resistance mechanism and should we be looking for it before we start 
treating our patients? Right, so that's, that's an excellent uh, uh, question. Uh, I think uh, to some extent it's probably uh, something that might uh, uh, be uh, common to other uh, protosome inhibitors. Uh, when we looked at our signature, for example, on, uh, on the compass, and we look, so it seemed to be a, a very uh, much a, a predictive of, of, a, a, of a prognosis, uh, but this is further work we need to still uh, uh, look into, so hopefully we'll, we will be doing that in the future. And it's amazing how much single cell can really bring that new level of understanding of what happens not only on therapy but after therapy and how we can understand better the disease, both the cancer cells and the immune cells, specific genetic subtypes, specific therapies, understanding drug resistance. Uh, so lots and lots of things to come into that. Um, and I think I, you know, I brought it from Aviv Regev, looking at it at the fruits level, not at the smoothie level. Uh, so really going back to that understanding of at the single cell level what happens, DNA, RNA. Where do you see the technologies? I mean, we're all doing now mainly transcriptional uh, RNA sequencing, but there are so many multi-omic methods, there are so many other things. Where do you see this going in the future? Yeah, we tried to bring multi-omics into our uh, data a little bit by developing that uh, inferred uh, CNV method mm -hmm. so, so that we can look at uh, DNA copy numbers and, and transcriptomics. Um, but I think you know, the field is broadening in a big way and we definitely need to move into multi-omics because you need to look at the parallels between protein expression and, and uh, RNA transcription and, and DNA copy number and, and beyond that even. Um, so I think, you know, SiteSeq is where everyone's moving at the moment to, to bring in the protein expression. I think that's going to be really helpful for the next generation of uh, identifying targets and the next generation of immunotherapeutics, understanding those surface protein expressions. But uh, I, I do think we can go beyond that with even more multi-omics and, uh, you know, um, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be able to in the near future be able to look at everything in a single yeah. cell. <laughs> yeah, and you did a lot of site seek too. Mm -hmm. um, the information you gained from both proteomics basically or you know tagging proteins as well as genomic data and transcriptional data, how much did that improve on your understanding of the rare cell events and so on? So I think it, it was a very reassuring approach where we could confirm findings from the single cell RNA-seq at the protein level and sometimes we did find some mismatch which led to more questioning and um, require further studies to understand and really, how do you get from the RNA to the protein? Are there other mechanisms involved? And what other levels of uh, genomic information we need to get from that? Yeah, and we are now hopefully going into spatial um, modalities and getting to the next level of not only DNA, RNA, uh, epigenetics with ataxic or methylation at the single cell level or proteomics at the single cell level, but also putting it in the context of where does it localize in the microenvironment? Are there contexts that you think that that would be very critical, especially in your data of understanding resistance? Yeah, so I think uh, we've seen very interesting data today about the, uh, the microenvironment and about the focal lesions and the spatial variability and the, those focal lesions being like the source for, for uh, progression and, uh, and I think that's uh, really uh, important topic, uh, you know, in the clinic we really get little data from that, from uh, the way that we, we, we tap the data. It's not uh, something that we, we really have in our fingertips, so, and, and it is so important. Uh, so I think further thoughts should be given on how, how to get to that data. 
Perfect. Any final thoughts, things to think of for the future? I think, you know, a, a, this, this tool of single cell, it's like having a molecular microscope and uh, um, it, it really gives us a whole new dimension of, uh, of looking uh, at uh, the disease and what, what is uh, uh, happening. So uh, uh, to me, it's intriguing how we, we could get this uh, in some way to, to the clinic. Uh, uh, there are, they are right now uh, uh, holdbacks as far as uh, logistics and costs, but uh, uh, I'm sure we will get there at yeah, some point. Absolutely, and it's amazing how much data was presented today and hopefully in the future about understanding mechanisms of disease progression from MGUS and smoldering and myeloma, mechanisms of response to therapy, genetic subtypes, uh, and hopefully bringing single cell level to the patients. Uh, so with that, thank you so much, and we hope to see you next year again with us, Myeloma 2023. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJHimonk to receive the latest research updates in multiple myeloma and subscribe to VJHimonk podcasts on Apple, Podbean and Spotify.